Welcome back. It's that time again to uh, get into truth and coaching land. I am Joshua. I'm Jordan. And we're here to talk about some uh, concepts for beginners today. You know, we were kind of discussing this earlier. One of my lifelong hobbies is playing guitar. And I like it a lot, mm-hmm. right? But uh, you, you know, the, playing it too, right? I know. Well, thank you. Um, the phase that I'm in in life, though, it's taken a little bit of a uh, backseat because I've got responsibilities and such, and I've got athletic goals, and I'm still young enough. I want to hit those, you know. Um, but it's pretty common when you're running into other guitar players, you know, oh, you know, how long have you been playing for is something that'll come up a lot. And so I could say, you know, uh, 38 years old minus when I started at 12, I could say 26 years. Mm-hmm. And that would be a truthful answer, but I'm not 26 years good, <laughs> right? Got some practicing um, to do. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's a that's something you'll hear a lot of times. How long have you been doing XYZ sport? How long have you been doing this as a job? And uh, the time that you've done it for does not necessarily equal your ability level. Mm-hmm. Really what matters more is the time of competent practice devoted to it where you're actually accelerating what you're doing and being challenged and staying out of the uh out of your comfort zone that's really what's going to determine how good you are so for me in guitar i would say i'm probably like a probably like a six to eight year player yeah you know yeah for for the actual amount of time that i spent like rapidly learning developing diligently practicing putting in the amount of time mm-hmm. you know there are some uh, years that were more dense and some years that are less dense i'm in a very undense year right now i don't i don't even have <laughs> calluses on my fingertips anymore like if you compare these two these ones are mm-hmm. very soft and these ones are starting to fade like there's All they're right, not yeah. that hard anymore right if i were to play for a while they'd hurt for a while i'd have to build it back up again um but a lot of people will misconstrue the time you've been doing something with how much competence that it leads to. Right. I think there's a direct correlation to working out there. Mm-hmm. I would agree with you. Because someone could tell you, I've been working out for five years and, you know, telling you that they don't really have the results that they wanted. But, like, when you're actually working out, how focused are you? And are you paying attention to what you're doing? And are you actually working out intensely enough during however long that hour or two hours is? That's completely true. And there's another factor to look at as well, which is, you know, are you working out the right stuff? Mm-hmm. That's, that's really the definition of training. Right. Is teaching your body to do something with purpose and with intensity. And a lot of people just do random things. So if your ability to do push-ups or if your strength levels aren't going up, or if your ability to manage a bigger workload isn't going up, something's wrong with your training, mm-hmm. right? And something is not uh, being focused in the correct way. There's a lot of variables that you can play with. We play with, you know, in a, in a given session or a, any given workout, you have exercise selection. <clears throat> then you have... How many sets are you going to do of this exercise? Mm -hmm. Then you have how many repetitions are you going to do of this exercise? Then you have what's the load? 
Then you have how much rest are you taking in between this exercise? Then there's yet another one, which is kind of reading between the lines. It's even deeper, which is tempo. Mm -hmm. For example, if you're doing a, uh, a negative push-up, maybe some of you can't do a push-up yet, and that would be the way to get started. Or maybe you can do them really well, mm -hmm. and you can do a very slow negative, lowering yourself to the ground, Absolutely. and then pushing yourself back up rapidly, right? Uh, increasing the tempo in almost any exercise is going to make it harder. So that's a way to find a shade right. in between where maybe you can't go heavier or maybe you shouldn't go heavier. Um, you know, for example, with squats, mm -hmm. at some point, most people don't need to be going very heavy, but you can still improve your results by slowing down the tempo. Exactly. Right, and just makes the muscles burn. If you think about this, we'll typically assign like a, uh, a number to the tempo so your concentric movement is... Contracting. Yes, the contracting muscle. the muscle. And then the isometric movement is... Holding it. Holding it in place. Mm -hmm. Then the eccentric movement is... <laughs> the muscle elongating, yes. right? <laughs> so you have your concentric, eccentric, and isometric. And each one of those you can assign uh, a number, and that's how long you need to spend on that phase of the movement. So if we're going to do you know, a very slow eccentric and negative, it'd be like a three, and then a pause at the bottom is a one, and then squeeze those muscles, contract them, and you come back up for a one, that's a three, one, one tempo. Um, or you could simplify it for math and maybe do a one, one tempo. You're just going down, you're going up, right? But if you were to take the same 10 reps and go down and come back up, and double the time that you spent on the down, that's a two, one tempo, you have now added 50% time to the whole mm -hmm. set. And you've doubled Double. your negative time, which is usually the most effective part of the exercise for muscle building. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, there's, there's shades of quality that you've put into your work that'll get you better as well. Um, but this whole idea of what is um, what am I trying to say? Like pitfalls of thinking that people fall into mm -hmm. when they're trying to do something, they think something's the way that it is. And it's actually not, it's a perspective issue, mm -hmm. isn't it? So I guess maybe this doesn't fit in right at this moment, but what is the point of, um, like teams practicing? Like what is the purpose of a practice? The purpose of a, like a sports practice? Yes to get better at a skill, mm -hmm. then I would say that would be primarily the number one thing. Right. The second thing would be to build togetherness. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing would be to get a little bit of conditioning so that your body can handle what you're doing aggressively and competitively with, um, with more ease mm -hmm. and without as much stress, because it'll make your skill more fluid. Yes. It's all focused around the skill. Yeah. So like with that, trying to have like that same mental state when you're going into your workouts, trying to think of it as more of a practice, especially with a new movement, mm -hmm. you're trying to mm -hmm. develop that skill better so you can understand what's going on Yeah. and um, just becoming more efficient at that movement or exercise. Yeah. That's, I think that's a good mentality to have. Um, I'll throw you well, let's, let's flesh this idea out a little bit first and I'll throw you another one. Um, if you treat every workout as just like a thing you have to get through mm -hmm. versus I'm here to deliberately practice, then you're automatically moving it in your mind to like 
leftover zone or to you're automatically shifting in your mind to something that's not pleasurable. Right. And if you have like relegated exercise to something that is uh, like a, a punishment or a chore or something that you're unhappy about, you're never going to embrace mm-hmm. like actually the, the good qualities of it. Right. And you're never going to want to make that a lifestyle thing, which means you're never going to get results. Mm-hmm. Now you might be comfortable with that. You might be comfortable with where you're at. That's fine. Right. You are making a deliberate choice to not improve and to not take care of your body. So be it. Um, But when you can adopt an attitude of, I'm interested in each move and I am actually like mentally engaged, Mm -hmm. now it becomes like a learning lesson which is very wholesome. Mm -hmm. You will actually become more body aware, which means you feel each part working better, which means you're going to be able to contract your muscles harder. They're going to work synergistically as a team better. And just the results of everything get better. One of the pretty common analogies that you'll hear when you study exercise science is that a lot of the initial strength improvements is neurological. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you know, for imagine me doing a bicep curl, right? Pretty easy. Most people know what that is. I'm picking up weights and, you know, squeezing my biceps and lifting them. Imagine if I first started training that, like I have a, a dirt road, a single lane dirt road. And then over the course of training, weeks and months and even years, we can improve that dirt road into like an eight lane paved highway. We can put a lot more force through that highway than we can through just a single lane dirt road. Mm -hmm. So improving those connections and being aware of what your body's doing is essential to making any sort of progress. But I think it starts with the mindset of like you were just getting at treating something like a practice. Mm -hmm. Um, There, I don't think there's every time that you can't practice. Yeah, I would agree with that depending on the style of the exercise or the workout, you might have to practice a different aspect of it. For example, if we're trying to get you to work maximally hard and fast Mm -hmm. in kind of a frantic circuit, it would be better to pick body weight exercises and uh, kind of cardiovascular calisthenics exercises that are a lot safer because you're under a lot of stress and you're not going to be able to move accurately and safely if you're like loaded heavily with the weight. So the practice there is accepting the burn Mm -hmm. and dealing with it and uh, pushing away like the um, wanting to quit thoughts out of your head. And then, you know, sometimes putting one foot in front of the other can be very mental Mm -hmm. while physical at the same time. The practice with heavy weightlifting is focusing on the right move, Mm -hmm. focusing on doing it safely, focusing on feeling all the, all the contractions. Um, and I don't think you're ever going to get away from that. I had a issue today in my lower workout, my lower body workout with a squat and he needed to probably have approached it a little more respectfully and a little more practice like, and, uh, it just exposed something that I've got to work on. So, you know, like bracing the core a little bit harder and, you know, working on my setup. So, Technical aspects of a workout have to be practiced. Yes. I don't think there's any question about that. No. I think also if you kind of, you know, go into each workout thinking of it more of as a practice instead of, oh my gosh, like I have to do this and I want to get it done with. Um, If you're focusing on a specific movement you've been trying to exceed, 
over the past couple of weeks and you finally do it, it's gonna help build that confidence. Like, hey, I just did this properly. Now I can do it over again. So it's gonna help build that confidence as well. Um, and just kind of encourage you to, you know, keep that mentality and wanting to, you know, learn something new since you overcame that challenge. Yep. Positive reinforcement. Uh, I don't think we ever outgrow positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. There's just different, um, sources that will get it from. Mm -hmm. And the more mature you are, the more internal that positive reinforcement is going to be. And, um, you know, you'll, you'll reinforce yourself with your own like micro goals. Like I really wanted to feel this in that workout, or I really wanted to feel this in that exercise and I got it. And that's awesome. Like you're checking off your own boxes and then it's nice to have your friend or your coach or a loved one, you know, give you a pat on the back and say, it looks like you're working hard and, you know, doing a good job. That positive reinforcement is good too, Mm -hmm. but you can't rely on that positive reinforcement on a, um, hour by hour, minute by minute basis. It's not going to be available to you that way. So you have to learn to, you know, create those little tiny goals where you can celebrate yourself. Like, hey, I just accomplished just on my own mm-hmm. um, and have those little, you know, private celebrations with yourself. Mm-hmm. About it. Yeah, the uh, that ties in a little bit with the the four motivations of your career, which is the the what, how the why and the who, Mm -hmm. but how people are very motivated by the skill and the effort and the attention to detail that they put into a task. Mm -hmm. And everybody can cultivate all these different motivations. Um, But if you cultivate how motivations, you'll become more self-rewarding and more self-sustaining. And you need to rely on that when you're putting yourself through physically difficult things. Mm -hmm. In fact, everybody needs to rely on self-motivation when it comes to just like basic adulting yeah with life in general yes otherwise maybe you haven't um haven't grown up yeah you were talking about learning which is really interesting because i have some graphs okay i see that and i'm gonna show you these graphs but first i just have to go back to the point that i was gonna make we were talking about approaching a session like a practice Mm -hmm. and i think that every skilled athlete is going to do that Mm -hmm. however I think we also need to approach uh, weightlifting in particular like we would approach other dangerous things, which is to not be scared of them, mm-hmm. but to understand the rules of the road yes. and to uh, be respectful of them. So there are, there are other dangerous things. For example, bodies of water. That mm-hmm. can end your life. Yes, it can. Right? It looks beautiful, but it's not <laughs> good if you don't respect it and if you're out boating too fast without a life vest on, mm-hmm. right? Um, electricity gets a lot of work done for us, but it can absolutely be dangerous. And if you're not respecting it and you're just dinking around with the wiring in your house, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that's not a great place to be. Um, tools, power tools, things that move yes. quickly. Got to respect those. They get a lot of work done. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to use a hand they're screwdriver. Fun. They're fun yeah. to use, too. So. They sure are. <laughs> I don't always want to use a handsaw. Mm-hmm. Like, it'll take forever. But uh, if you're not careful, you might be missing some digits, <laughs> right? Um, you have regular hand tools, uh, vehicles. I was just about to bring that up, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to us about vehicles. They help you get to places faster. Uh-huh. And they can also look really cool and be fun to drive. But. Right. 
if you're not paying attention and um, misuse them, you can easily hurt yourself or others doing it. Before vehicles, horses. horses. <laughs> Got to respect horses. Mm-hmm. They have a way they need to be treated and need to be taken care of. Uh, other things that can absolutely be used for good, but... Um, are also very dangerous firearms, right? Mm-hmm. There is a protocol and a set of rules that you need to apply to that. And when not done correctly, that's not good. Maybe that's where the uh, phrase loose cannon came from. Yes. Um, in any case, weightlifting is just like that because you are approaching something that you need to approach with respect. It is absolutely a good tool mm-hmm. that you can use to improve your body. But if you don't approach it with the necessary amount of respect, particularly when you're getting out of your comfort zone and into your challenge zone, mm-hmm. not into the overwhelm zone, but uh, that's something that we need to just, you know, that's a precursor to everything. So adopting the practice mentality, mm-hmm. I think helps insulate you instead of the, I have to get through this or the frantic mentality. Right. And that's probably where I was this morning is trying to like force a workout faster. Mm-hmm. So now I found a technique thing that got exposed. So now it's like, all right, okay. back to practice mentality. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, that's kind of, so I kind of had the opposite this morning when I was planning on doing um, kettlebell lifting, but I was paying attention to my shoulder, um, mm-hmm. and how it was feeling. And after I got through, you know, a few reps on the right or yeah, on the left side, it just was not feeling well. So I decided not to do that and just wait, hopefully for Thursday to feel better. And instead, went for a nice run um, instead of just trying to push through that um, discomfort. So just learning like when to not push through certain things. Right. And how do you decide when you need to push through the blahs Mm -hmm. or the gray day syndrome or the gloomy day syndrome versus this is the wrong move for my body right now? Hmm. How did you make that decision? What was your criteria? Well, I've been dealing with this issue for a while Mm -hmm. and it just... Today seemed a lot more aggravated than normal. If it mm-hmm. was not as aggravated, I probably would have just yeah. worked through it. And since it, after doing a few reps, I could feel like it being really tight in my mm-hmm. neck and in my shoulder. And after doing a few other things to try to loosen it up, it just wasn't. wasn't yeah, because so. because you're dealing with a very specific um, soft tissue, soft tissue aggravation, mm-hmm. right? Now, like, are we going to call it an injury or not? I'm not sure. Yeah. Probably not. Um, but like we're specifically trying to prevent a certain level of chronic mm-hmm. like pain from setting in. We don't want you to have tendonitis, right? Right. So that made a lot of sense in that instance. Um, somebody who's just like feeling the, I mean, I think you need to talk yourself into a workout, talk right. yourself into a warm up. Then maybe you just don't hit that top level mm-hmm. number. That you I think, normally have yeah, I think getting in and practicing is better. We talked about uh, plateaus or blessings mm-hmm. last time. Like it's okay if you don't go from strength to strength to strength to strength yeah. every single workout. That's not even like physically possible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's really just going in and practicing a movement. I mean, yeah. it's better than doing nothing. Yeah. Practice is phenomenal. So, um, I drew on this sheet of paper, three concentric circles. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
Yeah, this is when we need like we need my buddy Noah here with his video camera. So I like walk over to the <laughs> walk over to the dry erase board and like start drawing on it. <laughs> yes, right. I so everybody it. can see this. But uh, so for all of you who can't see this, I'm sure you can imagine three concentric circles, like Looks a like bullseye. A yeah, yes. like a target. Exactly. <laughs> the middle one is comfort. That's your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Nothing transformational happens in the comfort zone. Right. Everything <laughs> happens in the challenge zone, which is outside of the comfort zone. Um, there are some performance coaches, and this is getting into the like sports psychology, a little bit into like the business coaching zone. So like business coaching and sports psychology are so incredibly closely related because you are accessing a human being's mind mm -hmm. and trying to help that human being become something better than what they are, whether their vehicle is, you know, the boardroom or the basketball court, you know, it's, it's there's still a lot of psychology involved in that. And a lot of it has commonality mm -hmm. in any case. About 4% outside of your current capability is supposedly the sweet spot that's going to help you grow. So really the challenge zone, this graph maybe isn't accurate. Maybe the challenge zone is very narrow bandwidth, right? Because yeah. just outside of the challenge zone is the overwhelm zone. Yes. And the overwhelm zone uh, in a workout, you know, if, if it's a... Uh, very low impact cardio or body weight workout, you just, you run out of gas and you can't do anything. Mm -hmm. The overwhelm zone in heavier strength training, that's what gets you injured or that's what immediately prevents you from even being able to do it, right? right. So um, again, switching on those mental protocols that we're gonna show up and we're gonna practice and understanding I gotta get out of my comfort zone, gotta get into the challenge zone, but also being uh, self-aware enough mm -hmm. to not take on more than you should. Absolutely, that overwhelm zone. Uh, nothing good happens in the overwhelm zone. There, the overwhelm zone though, I think also happens and plays out over time. It doesn't just happen when you attempt to do one thing and like immediately get smacked down. Mm -hmm. We're talking like the laws of gravity kind of stuff here. So would you say like the overwhelm zone is like a bad area to be in all the time? I do think it's a bad area to be in. Every once in a while? Um, I think it's a healthy thing to get to that so you know like what it feels like and you know you, that's not where you want to be. But I, don't, I don't know. Like I, I think this really depends on people's overall skill level. Yes. Let me give you a like a more natural example. Um, when I lived in California, I really enjoyed surfing. Like surfing is just so beautiful. Uh, pro tip, by the way, if you want to enjoy more surfing, try to do it in the afternoon and evening, not early in the morning. When I started getting involved in personal training and I was working afternoon and evening shifts, mm -hmm. like I only went in the morning and then I just stopped going and I didn't know what was wrong until I had like a week off and I went every afternoon. Well, the people in the morning are a-holes. Because like they are like super concerned with their lineup mm -hmm. and the lineup is like a, you know, who has the right of way to take a wave and all this stuff. And you got to work your way into it and you got to be like, you know, mind your P's and Q's and all this mm -hmm. stuff. And then you can only take it when it's your turn. And if you suck at taking it, then you like forfeit the right to take it again. Like all this like stupid, you know, surf culture stuff. But it's because everybody has to get to work and they want to get their wave before they yeah. get to work. 
Afterwards, nobody cares. They're more relaxed. Afternoon and evening, people are social. They want to hang out. They'll talk to you.、Mm-hmm. Conversations. They may just let waves go by because they're having a good time talking to you. Oh, hey, oh, you probably better get on one of those. <laughs> you know, like it's it's pretty cool. But、um, there are many times that I got caught in a rip current. What's that? A rip current is when a sandbar. This is another great time for、yes. drawing on the paper, <laughs> right? But when a sandbar that is underneath the water has broken down, and so you can imagine the volume of water、mm. is pouring out rapidly through that broken down thing, and it's carrying you out to sea. Now, a rip current like this is not going to carry you transcontinentally, right? But it's going to take you out far enough until that kind of you know the force of it kind of diffuses,、mm-hmm. right? And if you're not a good swimmer or you don't have a flotation device like a surfboard, you can get in a lot of trouble. Well, people can panic and try to come straight back to shore, and then they can get exhausted.、But、right? Just gonna, like... Because they're fighting the current. You、yeah. can't fight the current. So what you do is you just go sideways.、Mm-hmm. Right? And it doesn't. You don't have to go very far. Most of these are really small. Okay. Like you just go probably 25 meters, maybe 50 meters, maybe 100, whatever.、Mm-hmm. You go sideways, and it's drifted you a little bit, but now you can go back to shore, and it's really, really easy. So, imagine now that you had a young person, like maybe eight years old.、Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they're good swimmers.、Um, maybe they're out there surfing. A lot of lot of little kids surf、um, in California. But let's say that they didn't know about this. Let's say they could get a hundred yards out or two hundred yards out. Let's say they could swim back to shore, but they didn't know about this. Didn't know that it's rip current and didn't know what to do or didn't recognize that they were in that situation、mm-hmm. because it's not a normal feeling. Like eventually, you recognize I'm not making progress. Oh, I could be in a rip current. Swim sideways,、mm-hmm. right? If you didn't recognize that to begin with, you're in the overwhelm zone. Mm-hmm. This is not a good place to be. Like you could drown in the overwhelm zone, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, being overmatched, like dramatically overmatched. If there are safeties in place, for example, in martial arts, practicing against a bigger partner, stronger, higher belt,、uh, you're going to get beat, and it's going to be difficult. But that bigger person, in the context of being on the same team. And having, you know, yet a bigger fish in the pond that's going to beat him up if he's actually a jerk, and like the etiquette of the whole system, and looking out for each other, and like the the honor of the school, and taking care of your teammates.、Mm-hmm. These are social structures that have been put in place that prevent the overwhelm zone from happening. The difference. Between that, which people are helping you stay in the challenge zone, you might feel <clears throat> overwhelmed, but you're safe.、Mm-hmm. Versus getting ganged up on by three thugs in a back alley. Yes, that's overwhelm zone.、Mm-hmm. That's not a good place to be. So that's <laughs> the basis of my argument that the over- overwhelm zone is not a good place to be.、Yeah. You might feel overwhelmed,、mm-hmm. but challenge zone should make you feel overwhelmed with enough safety in place. Yes. That if you mentally get your mind right,、mm-hmm. that you can recover from it the next day, that you can show up to the next practice. That makes a lot of sense. Etc. I like it. <laughs> All right. So now that we got that out of the way,、uh, more graphs. So you said learning, right? Learning. Now there's an interesting phenomenon that goes on here, which is this:、um, 
it seems to be relatively, uh, they call it a curve, but it's more like a downhill slope, um, which is that as you begin learning something, your enthusiasm is really, really high. Yes. But then as you get better at it, your enthusiasm gets way worse. <laughs> so your y-axis straight up and down is your enthusiasm, your x-axis time. Mm -hmm. um, presuming that you are continuing to dig into it, that enthusiasm actually drops off. So the beginner martial artist, the white belt, is like talk, 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 talk. This is blah, blah, blah. <laughs> By the time you're a black belt, that level of like insane enthusiasm isn't there. Mm -hmm. Same thing goes for guitar players. Um, maybe not piano players, because I think there's almost like a stigma of like little kids getting set down with the school marm for the piano lesson yeah. and like they're like getting their wrists hit with a ruler or something. <laughs> like that doesn't yeah. even happen. No. Like maybe in the 1800s it happened. <laughs> not now. Right? But it doesn't happen now. But like there's kind of like that uh, thing where like kids are like, geez, I have to do this. But everybody knows the teenager who thought he had a fast track to be cool with girls all of a sudden, and then he can't even play three chords, but he's, you know, like signed up for the talent show and he makes a fool of himself. Like enthusiasm was really high in the beginner. <laughs> right. Okay. It's hilarious. As time goes on, that enthusiasm goes away. Uh, Interestingly enough, I came across a really interesting treatise on this subject uh, a few weeks ago in that audiobook I was telling you about, uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He talks about initial enthusiasm mm -hmm. just like evaporating. Um, and then over time, though, if you stick with it, it gets replaced with better things, mm. more long lasting things, things that don't give you like that, that hit that high, mm -hmm. but they give you long-term skill, long-term yeah. long productivity, long-term quality relationships, mm. long-term, um, honestly like joy. And, uh, you know, an example of both, I think a good industry that does a good job of correlating time spent mm -hmm. to learning curve is pilots. Oh, yeah. Now, they don't measure their time in years. Mm -hmm. They actually measure their time in hours. Because if you're flying a plane, you are fully engaged. Mm -hmm. You're you alert. You're working your checklists. You are... Uh, like actually involved in doing that. So that is counting as an hour. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe with our other skills, we should be counting like actual hours, yes. not years that you've been in, involved in a hobby, but like actual practice hours. But you can imagine somebody like the rush of taking off in a plane the first time or like, like the rush, the first time your instructor mm. is like, all right, the plane's yours and now you're flying it. Or the first time you have to land on your own, right? That's a pretty big rush, mm -hmm. but uh, you can't do a whole lot with that versus maybe somebody who has, uh, made it a career mm -hmm. and is very skilled and is getting a very good reward out of it. One of my dad's best friend's sons, I actually grew up with this guy. He flies commercial and they had an emergency over the Pacific and he did like some very smart, like command decisions and brought the thing in, you know, safely or whatever. I don't know the whole story, but he was awarded like, um, 
some sort of association civilian pilot of the year kind of award. Oh, wow. And like, that's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. That is not the rush of handling it for the first time, mm -mm. but that's the reward of being that like consummate, quiet professional mm -hmm. who I showed up skills. to all the practice sessions. Mm -hmm. It's a very interesting look at it. I like that. Yeah. There's another graph that I think is also hilarious. This is the, uh, what do they call this? The, the Dunning-Kruger uh, effect, um, which is basically confidence versus competence. <laughs> as, uh, as you're a initial beginner, like you have no confidence mm -hmm. in a skill, but then very, very quickly, you have an inordinate amount mm -hmm. of confidence, right? So that thing just like spikes right at the beginning. You're like, I know all this stuff and I can do this stuff and I'm amazing. And then not long after that, if you keep at it, mm -hmm. you are very quickly gonna realize you did not know what you thought you knew. Yep. Your confidence is going to plummet. And then at some point, if you keep up with it, like you'll, you'll pull out of that, it's not rock bottom, mm -hmm. although emotionally it might be rock bottom. It would be worse than when you were a beginner, <laughs> right? But actual knowing that you know skills and knowing where they apply and knowing where they fit into the grand scheme of things, right? Then as you put in your practice hours, that'll eventually ramp its mm -hmm. way back up. And uh, the true expert should have a lot of confidence, mm -hmm. but it's not the wrong kind of confidence. It's not, yeah, not like the cockiness type of confidence. Yeah. It's, you know what you're actually doing and yeah. you feel comfortable with whatever it is, maybe yeah. teaching it to someone else or yeah. talking about it. Right. Yeah. Now with that comes experience. You mm -hmm. should be wise enough to stay out of the overwhelm zone, mm -hmm. but you also have the confidence that if you're faced with a situation, you know, relevant to what we're talking about, mm -hmm. that you can handle it. Imagine somebody uh, who's a very, very, very skilled athlete, maybe a prodigy, mm -hmm. going to the Olympics for the first time. That could be overwhelming. Oh, yeah. But if you're really skilled and you have enough confidence, you may be able to overcome that. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people don't. A lot of people need multiple high-level uh, stages to be on to build that confidence up. Yeah. And that's why different events exist. Um, I think Christina would be just like a good example of this because mm -hmm. with her lifting event, it was her first time mm -hmm. doing a lifting event. So yeah, she was very nervous, maybe not fully confident, but yep. she knew the lifts that she was doing and she knew that she could do those lifts. Mm -hmm. um, so she definitely stayed out of that overwhelm zone, I think, during her competition. Yeah. No, I think so too. Um, it... The interesting thing with her there is the preparation definitely paid off. Yes. So there was every reason to be confident in her weightlifting skills. Mm -hmm. Just the venue and the How event. It was like running. And yeah. 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 And, and dealing with the like the anticipation and the nerves and then the moment when you're on the spotlight. Mm -hmm. To me, that's challenge zone. Mm -hmm. um, there are there are some people that will let that overwhelm them. And oh, you really need to stay in control of your emotions. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's maybe one of the master skills of life, isn't it? Like right. staying in control instead of... Letting your emotions you know, determine everything. Exactly. Yeah. Blowing your top or, you know, mm -hmm. acting impetuously or whatever. Um, yeah, that's probably one of the... 
one of the few times that I'll actually crack down on somebody in here, and it doesn't happen very often, but there, there have been occasions where people have like emotional outbursts and it's like, hey, you need to like go out on the back porch for a while, mm -hmm. just chill out. <laughs> You know, Go take a brief walk or like, something. <laughs> you know, and I think actually that's a symptom of what we're talking about here with the confidence competency curve because mm -hmm. somebody, imagine somebody who is uh, kind of prideful, right? But they're like really out of shape. Or like, and this particular person was obese and um, she just kind of had a meltdown and was like pissed that she wasn't doing the exercise better. Hmm. Well, you're kind of a prideful individual to begin with mm -hmm. and you've got this really really high level of confidence at the beginning and what you just found out you just found out you were really out of shape mm -hmm. in a way that you'd never realized before so you're right at the top of that peak and you're about to plummet your level of confidence is about to plummet and if you can get past that yes there is a wonderful world of skill and fitness and feeling better and confidence like well-deserved confidence in your future body's abilities but you have to get past that pride you got to swallow it and be like turns out i did not know everything that i thought i knew yeah which is you know just accept it and yeah. think about what are the next steps you can take yeah. to be better speech of the week use journaling and tracking for temporary awareness only now, there are really two kinds of journaling or tracking that I'm talking about here. The one is nutrition tracking, tracking everything that goes into your mouth. The other is using a forensic tracker to uncover where you were, who you were with, and what you were feeling prior to an unwanted behavior like a binge. But for today, let's primarily talk about nutrition tracking. There is a idea out there that's popular in the fitness industry that you need to track everything all the time. This is simply not true. There's a couple reasons for it. Number one, as soon as you begin to track, you automatically change your behavior. And the tracker itself becomes a taskmaster, which you eventually resent. Because of that, it's not sustainable. And when you can't sustain something, you're going to automatically feel like you failed at it. So instead, capture seven days or worst case scenario, two weekdays and one weekend's worth of data. Then scroll through it and see if you can identify trends and still actionable steps. And that is how the best use of a temporary tracker can bring awareness, shed light on your current behaviors without modifying them so much that the tracker itself is distorted and bent out of proportion. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today. We will talk to you next time.